0: Underway because the O'Briens are threatening Just fast. to stage a walkout. Just talk fast. Um, come eight thirty. Quit doing the tangents, and you'll be fine. Okay, I will do that too. You don't want me to swear anymore. No tangents, no swearing. Well, let's thank God, dear Lord. We're very grateful for the time in Your Word, especially this book. We are grateful for what St. John laid out for us, and uh, the rather. Um, heavy nature of it in terms of our walk with your son. We'd ask that you would give us the responsibility to live like he says. In your son's name, amen. Well, uh, last week we got up through you know, verse uh, 11 of chapter 2. Um, the basic thrust of the book is generally accounted to be one on assurance <laughs> of salvation. How do I know I'm one of his? And you got a few of those things in the first passage. But, it, but in doing so, it informs you of the reality of certain major things, that God is light, and the name is no darkness at all. Um, but the, um, uh, and the, and the basic thrust also is not assurance of what is a Christian group. It's not asking you to be assured that the church you're in is a believing church, it's whether you're believing it's it's individual it's about how you live whether you keep the lord's commandments by this we will be sure that we know him if we keep his commandments and you'll notice through the book at large that it is very personal uh, uh, in terms of where you are where your where your mind is so when we start and verse 12 of chapter um of chapter 2 I formatted it a little differently because there's an odd sequence of comments um, between verse 12 and verse 14. Um, And it repeats three groups of people, little children, fathers, young men, little children, fathers, young men, and makes a claim about I'm writing to you for this reason, I'm writing to you for this reason, I'm writing to you for this reason. Then he goes to the list again and says slightly different things some don't change some do change and you go So, what are we what are we dealing with here not only is it a a, just a poetic structure like a hymn or a a a mnemonic device we don't know i so so poetic it was that the sentence that i spoke to it this is what of this is not not even what of this a poetic encouragement my, my sentence was not what you call poetic. Uh, I think I'd written a separate sentence, then I said, no, I should say what. And I just put what at the beginning of it. And so pardon that first. This is why I don't write the scriptures. I just write the marginalia. So when, when, we, when we can't textually tell ourselves what, it is, what it's there for, even who the little children are, the young men are, or the fathers are, it'd be best for us not to affirm what they are, because we, don't, we can't know. Now, there's a general use of little children to whom the book is uh, uh, addressed. Uh, he generally comes back to his general audience as uh, beloved or little children, and so you're you're not quite sure whether that's just generic believers, but again, I don't want to... Say I know what he means by young men, or what he means by fathers. It could be age in the faith. It could be physical age in. Uh, <coughs> it could be physical age in. Um. um uh, their their biological life. On in Bradley. You'll find yourself either a chair back there, or. Um. So I think it's best to almost step aside from the weird structure. Like if, if there's something magical in it, you're not going to know what it is. Um, so let it go. Uh, don't. But but he's saying something, and we don't miss that. There's an encouragement of. I was looking at it just as a piece, going, okay, what's common about this? What is? What are the? What's the gain here? Uh, whoever it is for, what's the gain or what is the claim? These are affirmations of encouraging states, uh, uh, in, uh, confident places that all of these people are in. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning." I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So you'll notice the repetition with the fathers, it doesn't change. With the children, it changes and part of the young men changes or there's something added. But all of them are confidence building or confident references. Um, And remember that the book is Hanging your assurance on your knowledge of where you stand. okay. Your your assurance of salvation is based on not whether or not your car, name is written in the parish register. It's not whether you walk the aisle, sign the card. It's not whether um, everybody else, you sing in the choir, and everybody else thinks you're a Christian, and, and you kind of like being one, but it's whether or not you are. And whether there's a confident um State, and each one of these groups, wherever you are, if you want to believe that they're uh, age in the faith or of, of physical age groups, um, these things are uh, good places to stand, knowing that you're. And, and he wants to affirm that you can know that this is the case for you, because your sins are forgiven, because you know him, because you have overcome. And he's not trying to teach them that they have; he is just lifting them up into a state of confidence. And all of it is uh, well. Look, look, look at the list of I've on the side here. I just sins forgiven, acquainted with Christ two times. The phrase from the beginning um, is distinct at the beginning of the book. It read, read like that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Um, the the reference to perhaps the beginning of the Lord's ministry and that these fathers would have known him from who was from the beginning. Whether you think of it as a creation act or the beginning of Christianity doesn't really matter but it holds um, uh, it it points, those situations point to Christ even in the Gospel of John um, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God but it's pointed to Christ in both cases So that's why I said, acquainted with Christ. You know him. Not know about him. Not have your theology all worked out about Jesus Christ. But know him, who is from the beginning. Twice, overcome the evil. One. It's not clear whether it's overcome evil or overcome the evil one. Uh, Most times I think it's translated overcome the evil one. Um, Acquainted with the father. That's the second one for the children. Because you know the Father. And when you think about salvation, with the whole point of uh, you are forgiven, your sins are forgiven for His sake, the whole point is reconciliation with the Father. That what what children have gone through, with whoever they are, if they've been forgiven, they're Christians, they've been reconciled with the Father, so they're acquainted with the Father, they know the Father. The young men, they're strong. And the Word, I capitalized it, dwells within. Now, I took that option because it says the Word of God abides in you. John cannot be trusted with that phrase. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, you know, so forth and so on. I wouldn't want to think, it might be the scriptures, but... Since he is talking about through the rest of the passage, abiding in Christ and Christ living in us, the word of God abides in you, I I think he probably uh, means the Lord. But those are all um, very basic states of being. They're also very basic beliefs. You have a state of I know I'm forgiven. I have a belief system who I know rather than what I know who I know and that's a, so there's a there's a state of being forgiven um, there is a state kind of knowledge who I know not what I know and thirdly there is an experiential where road beats the road you are strong you will overcome the evil one you um, uh, where, in other words, the life has been fleshed out. So I had something happen. My my acquaintance with God and His Son is definite, and I have lived like it. I have lived strongly. I have been over, an overcomer. Um, if you want to think of anything about the passage, you say, well, these are measures for your 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 own basic confidence. Do I? If somebody said, well, what, do you, what, what happened to you when you became a Christian? Well, I was, my sins were forgiven for his sake. I got to know, I became acquainted with God and his son, Jesus Christ. And um, I had victory over sin. And is growing in grace and strength regarding my victory over sin. And Jesus Christ lives with me. I mean, you're talking about really basic gospel stuff. That is um, where our th- our ideas should be in a primary. Uh, you know, when you talk about the inner light, uh, we were talking about that last week about um, God being light and in Him is no darkness. Therefore, we cannot be anything but light to be with God. And when we realize what the light is, the light is not the deeper walk. The light is. The faithful adherence to the gospel, experiencing it, living it, etc., with the was the basic things of the faith, and assurance of salvation. Since salvation is based on the basics, not on how much you know about penal substitutionary atonement, or whether you care about expiation versus propitiation, what's your eschatology? And a lot of people start to blame others for their failure to agree with them on whatever the secondary or tertiary uh, items are. Here is the place both of confidence and real effect. Later growth has benefit but almost almost advocational. It's almost a hobby to have big thoughts about deeper theologies because the inner light comes from these things. The, the the basic choice what I describe myself and I have the confidence to describe myself measure myself by this by this uh, path and it, it stays that kind of basic throughout the book it stays that kind of basic uh, regarding our obedience uh, our uh, who we understand what we listen to and how real is it down at the most basic uh, uh, the most immediate in the most immediate measures the next verse gets right into another arena of distinction but it's a very basic level of distinction you know the passage do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world love for the Father is not in him this goes on throughout the book yes or no, either or Yes, yes you are loving the world no you are not loving the world if you love the world you know, if you Say you love God and hate your brother—you're a liar. If you love the world, you don't love God. These—these yeah, these are um, John doesn't let us up very uh, easily from these absolute toggle switch sort of uh, on-off sort of things. Um, one of the things I've taught for years, and I—and I, I just want to uh, uh, make sure that—that. That, uh, There's some interesting aspects to this that get missed by some people. One, the word do not love the world is ag- agapao, right? Agapeo, like agape. It's not directly agape, but it's derivative. It's that kind of love. Uh, uh, and so I, 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 when I realized that don't love the world or the things in the world, you realize that maybe agape isn't spiritual good love. It's a kind of love when it is given to God or given to people, and rightly so, it's it's a uh, it's a holy thing. It's the charity that Corinthians 13 talks about. Um, but it seems like a love of uh, that kind of that kind towards the world and the things in the world. But you can take a look at that. I'm I'm no language scholar, so it could be that it's entirely not a legitimate thing to say, but I wanted to bring it up. Um, But the, the other thing that people miss is they say, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. They then immediately think that the problem, the sinful thing, is the world and the things in the world. But the thing that is forbidden is loving the things in the world. Because if I love them, the love for the Father is not in me. You know, it says, uh, the, what's forbidden is, do not love. Not, do not acknowledge, do not allow your kids to get piercings, you know. Uh, do not uh, let them do skateboarding. Um, any kind of, and uh, you can see the kind of uh, trap people get into, because you could look around any given room, and there's always going to be some Pharisee, just a little bit more Pharisaical than you, and there's going to be some problem with something you have in the room that's just a little worldly. A little more worldly than that. Well, what was forbidden is loving it. Now, the, the, when I looked the word up, it had a little definition. Is, when it's speaking of things, is to be well pleased, to be contented at, or with a thing. And that's really the the idea that I am choosing between loving God, and loving the world. And. Where is my contentment? Where is the, what I believe, the fulfilled offer of peace received? Because the things listed, it it doesn't help that they use, they translate it, desire, they translate lust, because everyone knows that's bad. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And everybody sees lust, lust, pride, they go, okay, these are awful things. they are the things made by God. It's just, the word is just desire. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. Um, what makes them evil in all respects, because God made this world and everything in it, is loving it. To find my contentment in that. Instead of in God. Laying up treasures on earth where moth and rust devour. Instead of being rich towards God. You know, all sorts of, I gave you a couple of more examples. Galatians 5, but I say walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Okay. Mark 4, out of the um, the um, parable of the sower, one of the the, the uh, thorny, I think it's the th- think it's the thorny soil, I am not quite quite remember, but the cares of the world and the delight in riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Ecclesiastes, I said to myself, come now, I'll make a test of pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. The Christian idea from Solomon forward is that the rewards of the earthly life, the things that God has made as benevolences here, that involve the flesh, the eyes, and and self-evaluation, are very powerful not-gods, very powerful, demand our attention, dangle their pleasures in front of us, and ask us to be contented with, pursue, enjoy, measure our life by, and it's a either when John says it's neither or you either understand that those things exist to be received with thanksgiving but only to be received with thanksgiving not to be loved and the reason is because it's not of the father but of the world and the world passes away that's why the ecclesiastes passage the vanity of this if i ask for my contentment with solomon runs into he says you know hey I just figured I'm going to die, and everything I built is going to rot. So I hate life, because if I put my faith, if I put my love in the things of the flesh, the things of the world, the world fails me. It is not eternal. And that's what John argues here. The world passes away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So it's sort of a prefatory remark, or maybe it's a separate thought, uh, to what he is doing with everything in the book, of setting you with these juxtaposed uh, categories. And I have to say, do I love God and I'm thankful for the world? or do I love the world and I'm thankful for God? And an awful lot of Christians, they spend their life building a life just like the non-believers with just as much hope and dependence on it, just as much, and they are unfruitful because they had delight in riches and the desire for other things and it keeps them from being fruitful. Or, um, they lay up treasures on earth and suddenly it's all snatched away and they weren't rich towards God. So, but they don't recognize they're doing it because they got this nice arrangement of loving the world and being fond of Jesus. Okay? Loving the world and being fond of Jesus. When we're supposed to love God, and be fond of the world. <laughs> that, 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 um, uh, give it a lesser, of uh, acceptance. Um, and when you, when you think about, uh, the desires of the flesh, and I, I, don't want to eat up time talking about what, you probably already know what the desires of the flesh are. Um, uh, you know, pride of life. So I, I consider the, the, the desire of the eyes to be the, the, the desire for beauty, not, not, that it's a, it's a thing taken in that you cannot enjoy by the thing you took it in with. You know, the flesh is there as um, its temptation can be gratified in the flesh. The things of beauty, music, art, are not gratified in a fleshly way. They're gratified in a in a mental way, a, a default, a beauty default or something like that. But, but you can come up with your own categories. But these are all things... Yes, Brad? Um... When you say the rewards of uh, an earthly life are are to be received with thanksgiving, not love, it isn't receiving something with thanksgiving, loving it. Uh, no, no! Because I, when you think of, when you think of, um, it tells us to receive all things. All things were given by God and meant to be received with thanksgiving, um, and that He tells us not to love it. So I would assume that being thankful for. Um, and the word here for love is off the root of agape, and it is this service to this, this. This is my contentment. Not I'm content with my pleasures, but and thankful. But it's what contents me. If I want to put it okay, that way. So down. it's like the serving of the perfect love that we were talking about yesterday. The, the perfect, the, the, love, the love that is perfected in man from chapter, uh, early chapter 2, is keeping the commandments, which is in if you love God, you keep his commandments. So, it's, it's in a large sense, it's who you obey and who you serve. Uh, I can get something that I'm thankful for that I didn't serve to get. You know, I didn't serve the chocolate cake that someone gave me. I, but I'm thankful someone gave me a slice. Um, I but if someone was frantic to, to design their life, you could get home and have the chocolate cake, um, it might seem a little um, ungodly that, that our, our life became a service to these sorts of urges. Either your pride of life, which I think is the, the, the knowledge of self, the, the identity of yourself to yourself and, and and where you stand with that, and beauty, and, and things like hunger and sex for the product, for the flesh. Um, so I may, but all of those were given by God. All of those were designed by God. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper. Look at her. Why she's really good looking. And what, we're not, what do I do with them? Made by God. I'm not allowed to love it. When people start to argue that I'm not allowed to have it. Because it's the thing that's bad. No, the thing is just futile. It's fading away. It's not the answer. So if I love it and serve it, I will find myself not loving God. It's a choice. You love God or you love the world. You cannot, the old idea of you cannot serve God and mammon, no man can serve two masters. That's, that's money, you know. And so, but I got some in my wallet. Well, yeah. Do you serve it? because you cannot serve God and money. You, 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 because no one can have two masters. At some point, and this is true a lot of times people don't recognize you can have multiple masters in a hierarchy, you cannot have multiple masters at, at equal status. Okay? Um, because when the lower master tells me to do X, and I know the higher master tells me to do Y, I can ignore the lower master, even if he's my master, because I am obeying something higher. But when they're equal, love for God, love for the world, love for money, love for God, love for, for tradition, Christ says, you'll find a way of rejecting the law of God for the sake of your tradition. We know that some of the most spiritual things become objects of our love instead of God. You know, and and the fact that a lot of them I'm I'm not trying to make this a harder thing to obey by claiming that the things, being loved, are goods. But you want to be accurate about it. I I realize that when I say money is good, um, sex is good, food is good, um, beauty is good, um, self-identity, knowing who you are, honor is good. um, uh, I need to know that what I fight in all the goods is lifting it up Oh, Lewis says this in his Four Loves about uh, about the other uh, loves—philia, storge, and uh, uh, eros. Once you make them a god, they become a demon. (laughs) That's once they. Once I lift these things up past what they ought to be, I become uh, enslaved to this demonic thing. And the same is true with the world. And the world passes away, Um, and it is vanity but he who does the will of God abides forever. And that's echoing the passage you were talking about with the perfection in love. He who does the will of God, he who keeps commandments, lives forever. The, the eternal life aspect of the... Then he gets back to the idea of the children. Children is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist, bold type, is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. So I don't know what your eschatology is, but John's the only person who uses the word Antichrist in the Bible. It is not in Revelation, it's not in any of the prophetic books, it's just here. And um, the uh, and he is dealing with it in the immediate for him. So he's probably this is probably you know 70s or 80s AD, you know. So um, you heard you he's telling his audience you heard that Antichrist is coming. That seems to be a a big deal, whatever that is. Is this before or after Revelation? Is it depends on when you think he wrote Revelation. Uh, tradition has him on Patmos in the 90s, um, under. Um, uh, under demission. Uh but that would put the writing of revelation well after the fall of Jerusalem, and the fall of Jerusalem seems to be anticipated in the book rather than so, so this was written probably after after, after it, okay probably after uh, I think that he was probably exiled in uh, the late sixties but I have no way of knowing it. There, there is a, uh, there's one reference that says he was exiled under Domitian, so, uh, but that's not biblical, so, so you have to say, oh, how do we know anything? But, uh, it's certainly in his older life. He's certainly gotten to the point where a lot of the ideas of the Gospel of John have percolated, steeped for a long time, and he's become somewhat mystically driven to communicate with the basic Christian life and assurance of Christians should be. Um, But this idea of Antichrist, and Antichrists, because there are other ones, um, and he says, it's the last hour, and you know it's the last hour because of this phenomenon, these Antichrists. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. It's another one of the assurance guides saying, okay, is the us the church at large? Or is the us the teaching apostolic set? You know, that says these are teachers that, as Paul says to the Ephesian elders, you know, out of your very midst will arise men teaching you know, false things to lead disciples after themselves. There's an expectation you can't control the fact that men like power. You know, and in the church, you know, the pride of life comes up here. You know, in the, the religion is such a great and easy way to get control over other people, and it's really tempting to dangle that in front of yourself, um, if you just say something distinct make yourself unique. Um, but. Um, it's plain from that that they went out. It, this is going to be brought up a little bit later in the book, because John talks about listening to the apostles as a, as one of the ways that you know, all the people who try to get around St. Paul or don't pay attention to Peter or say no to St. John. You know, I don't think they were right about this. Listening, people who strike out on their own, makes it clear that they are not of us. Now, this is very specific. It's not just, okay, I, I, I just don't want to go to church anymore. It's not that that person is Antichrist. Uh, antichrist is explicitly Antichrist. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all know. Now, you notice that he's, he is, he is he's going to become more pronounced by the end of this chapter. That he's What you have had happen to you, what I've said with confidence about your life up at the top, Where and how you live, whether you get perfected in love, whether you are obedient to God and Christ, whether you legitimately claim to love God, where you don't, or you follow the new commandment of loving the brethren, whatever it is that you are learning about and doing, we're confident that you have a place with, with Christ. Um, the anointing, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all know. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and know that no lie is of the truth. So this this confident placement of the people receiving this letter, where they should go, yeah, I've been forgiven, yeah, I know the Christ, yeah, I know the Father through the Son, um, I've overcome the evil one, yeah, I know that, okay. I have been anointed by the Holy One, and I know what is true, my need is now to apply what I know is true against those things that are deceivings that come through the, the, the life of the church down through history. It's, reading church history is enough to put you off your feed for a while. Um, five, six minutes tops. But um, it's an awful story. It's an awful, awful story. It is not the great work of the Holy Spirit down through the ages. It's the great work of sin down through the ages. It's just, it, 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 it's horrible. Uh, but people grabbing groups, starting groups, um, and rather than going, this is back to where you are in your life, in the gospel, having been changed, knowing where you are and who you're of, and then it says, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So in case you're alone, what's the antichrist? What he who denies the Father and the Son? Antichrist. It's simple. <laughs> I don't have to come up with some computer in Belgium. I don't have to come up with, you know, some um, uh, great Russian leader with religious overtones and a head wound. I don't have to come up with stuff that fits. I just he he is denying the Father and the Son. That is Antichrist. The position of Christ, that's why you go back to the confidence. You go back to where the confidence rests. Your forgiveness, your eternal life, your overcoming, your knowledge of Him, what you knew from the beginning. And you know that, just like there's no darkness in the Lord, there's no lie in the Lord. And so when someone comes along and starts telling you something other, when uh, Victor Paul Wirewheel who started a cult called the Way back in the '70s? Uh, maybe it was in the '60s. Um, uh, he put out a book, and the title of the book was "Jesus Is Not God." That was the title, title of the book. I mean, he was clear. But a lot of Christians got sucked into it. Uh, um, you know, Paul Tone, his dad got saved through that cult, and then left town immediately afterwards before they got the cult claws into him and and. Um, um, but they were, they were they were bad, but they were denying the Son. They were denying Jesus Christ. The truth was about Jesus Christ. Who is the liar but he who denies the Jesus Christ? No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. Notice the yes and no on this. What you've got, if you deny the Son, you don't have God. That's the basic equation. Just like if I love the world, I don't love the Father. If I hate my brother, I don't, can't say I love God. This is make yourself a list. Okay, I can't say this and be that. I can't say this and claim that. So someone, this applies to a lot of people's view about the Jews. They think, a lot of Christians in evangelical circles, think that the Jews are sort of uh, step cousins of Christianity, kind of yeah, we're sort of in the same religion. Now, you don't deny the Son and have the Father. They do not have a religion where they just worship the Father. They think they do? They don't. You can't have the Father if you deny the Son. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. So these are the rules. I, I didn't write the book. She'd say, okay, Valley." Well, I, sometimes I realize that down through history, an awful lot of things have gone under the guards of the Christians, They've just allowed things to go on. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Sometimes we would get caught up on the word abide. I remember hearing a whole series of talks where the guy just... The word abide. Wasn't there even a song by Dandelamus? I think it had the word abide in it. Oh, I hated it. Because people get caught up in a particular word. It just means live in. abode. I abide in abode. Um, I, uh, I live in something. And what's really important is what I heard from the beginning. Let what I heard from the beginning, the, the ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that which we have known, remember back the fathers, you know him who was from the beginning. It's what the Christian church was preached as being by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. Nothing else, nothing growing over 2,000 years into something unrecognizable. Um, it's what, is what, what was at the beginning was all that Christianity did, Because that's what produces the light in the individual. That's what produces um, the walk with God. That's what produces the thing that you can be confident about your Christian life. Um, If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Because why is that? Because it says, he who confesses the Son, back in verse 23, he who confesses the Son is the Father also. What I heard from the beginning is the role of Christ. Because it's making, this is a synonymous remark. No one who denies the Father has the Son. He who confesses the Son is the Father also. Sentence later, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. What you heard from the beginning was the deity of Jesus Christ death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what you heard from the beginning. You cannot deny the things about Christ. You cannot, um, and claim to be a Christian, you can do it physically, but don't claim Christianity. Because you need to be in, to claim Christianity, you have to be in keeping with the apostles. It's one of the key things. Remember, those that went out from us never were of us. You don't want to be anti-Christ about this. You might say, well, if I'm right, I, I want to be whatever's right. Well, yeah, go, go ahead and figure out what's right. But if you're not this, you don't hold what was from the beginning, you can't claim to be on the same team with St. John. This is what he has promised us, verse 25, eternal life. Now, the whole idea of Antichrist at the time of John, um, we do, or John is one of the more interesting disciples because we do have writings of his, his disciples. Um, John's had disciples, the famous disciple of John was a guy named Polycarp. We have a couple letters of Polycarp, so we have his martyrdom, we have friends of his who had talked to him about John, and in one of those situations, most, a lot of scholars think, not most, a lot of scholars think that when it's Antichrist here, he's talking about a particular heretic um, named Serinthus. And Serinthus was leading some neo-gnostic, proto-gnostic group, denying the deity of Christ, all sorts of other things, and living a life of wild, uh, promiscuity, et promiscuity, etc., etc. And John uh, had it in for Serinthus, and I have this quote from Irenaeus, against heresies uh, here on the side there are also those who heard from him Polycarp, that John the disciple of the Lord going to bathe at Ephesus and perceiving Sarinthus within, rushed out of the bathhouse without bathing exclaiming let us fly, lest even the bathhouse fall down because Sarinthus, the enemy of the truth is within so he comes dashing out I don't know if just a towel wrapped around him but he comes dashing out and says I don't want to be in the same building with this guy because God might smite the building. Um, so Syerinthuss was a, a very antichrist Antichrist. He could have been Antichrist, or he could have been one of the many Antichrists, because John makes that distinction. Antichrist is coming. Many Antichrists have come. So Syerinths may have been one of those. But that's the sort of thing he's talking about, people who, in the world of religion, deny the basis of your salvation. Deny who Jesus Christ is. The Jehovah's Witnesses do it. The Mormons do it. Um, so you have to keep a watch out. Now he says in verse 26, "I write this to you about those who would deceive you," I, because you want to be assured in the true salvation. You don't want to be assured in uh, because you get off in some weird group. And how you get assured in a weird cult is is you know doing the cult thing more faithfully and loyally. Um, you don't want to get caught up um, by those who would drag you away from the most elemental things. But the anointing, now look at look what he appeals to in this. He doesn't appeal to reading a whole bunch of books about cult busting. A uh, Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. Big, thick encyclopedia of bad cults and stuff. Everybody back in the 70s had a copy. Um, people thought about how do I deal with this cult, that cult, some beneficial, beneficial information. But the concern is you getting deceived. Where I can lose my assurance by not being faithful to the Lord. I, I cannot be sure if I'm sitting up a storm. I cannot be sure if I hate my brother. I cannot be sure um, if I start to mess with the person of Jesus Christ. I, I want to keep away from the deceivers. Do I? Do I make my loyalty oaths to my church and do I tie myself to all sorts of uh, 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 oaths so that I wouldn't leave? It says, But the anointing which you received from him abides in you. Oh, but the anointing you received, remember that back in 20? You have been anointed by the Holy One and you all know. You have been given by this experience. You go back to that beginning set of things. Your sins are forgiven. You know him who is from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. You know the Father. You are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. That's what you have from the beginning of your Christian life. The anointing. The, which, um, whether it's of the Holy Spirit or, uh, just, just the um, the blessing of God in in in, uh, um, in this case. Um, it's something that has happened to you personally, and what's very interesting here: you have no need that anyone should teach you. You don't need to be. You know, it's not saying that you. Well, I, you mean know, I could just I could know all of history and I could know everything. No, you you need a teacher for those that stuff. We're we're talking about the element of what it is to be a Christian. I don't... I have have become a Christian. I am a Christian. I didn't learn it that I had to learn from someone how to be a Christian. Christianity happened to me. It was preached. I believed and I was saved. I passed from death to life. These are experiential, inner light things. You were changed. As his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true, it is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So the dealing with the deception is going back to trusting what's happened in you. Look at what happened to you in the gospel and realize that you have everything necessary for life and godliness and that. And you need to commit yourself to living in that state. That's what it says. Abide in him. Just as it has taught you, this anointing. You say, well, isn't John teaching us that? You, know, you don't need an English teach. Teachers are mentioned in the New Testament. I mean, they're gifts of uh, some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, and teachers. That's what happens in the church. They're different gifts. But you have to realize that not everyone knows an apostle, not everyone knows a prophet, not everyone has had good teaching in their life, but the Holy Spirit, the anointing we have from God, a person could grow and grace their whole life without ever having a great Bible teacher or a great Christian literature to read. uh, And these guys didn't even have the Bible. we got Bibles falling all over us, you know, in every room of the house. We've Bibles, any translation we want. We think that that has become a necessity because we've downplayed the inner light of what the Christian has experienced. And we have moved all of your uh, confidence about yourself to your performance in church, um, how much you know about the Bible, uh, how much you read your Bible, those sorts of things, these, these tasks that come up, rather than saying, you know, John is talking more about the um, what you know happened to you. You know, your state, your acquaintance with the God, and your life in accordance with that acquaintance. Um, and and committing myself to continue to live in Christ is um, what's going to keep me from the deception. Now, I've heard it said, you know, I, I don't know if this is actually true, so take it for what it's worth, the, the idea that uh, supposedly you can find counterfeits by being familiar with real money that when you know what real money, it feels like you see it enough times, see it enough times, see it enough times—you notice when you don't see it there, you know. And I don't know if that's true, um, or whether that's just a, a convenient illustration. But in this in this sense, that the, there's a truth to um, there's a truth to the. Um, Uh, to the protection that dealing with the real, abiding in him if I deal with the real, as it has taught me, abide in him so not only will that set me free from or protect me against deception um, and teaches me that which I ought to know but it brings to me confidence verse 28, and now, little children abide in him So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So the whole idea from the top of the page to the bottom of the page is this confidence in the basic. Confidence in what really happened to you and which you can assess without any pastor telling you. Well, my sin's forgiven do I have this anointing from God in which I know him, in which my life has legitimate claim to loving him because I don't love the world, because I keep his commandments, I love my brother. I'm looking at these rules and go, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do love the brother. If somebody goes, you know, I really don't actually like Christians very much. I was talking years ago, I was talking to an old friend of mine, still a friend, Um, Not a believer. Religious though. Went to the Presbyterian church. And uh, I was talking to him about the gospel and uh, out in front of the music building, I think it was. Um, No, out in front of the education building. Um, And I said, you know what, how are you getting any fellowship? Yeah, I really don't like Christians that much. I don't like Christians that much well, excuse me, you're probably not one. (laughs) Because even though Christians are a a, a motley crew, and you collect all sorts of weird people into a room, and you you feel strangely moved by being with them. You you want to be with them. Uh, You love them. The love for the brethren is the new commandment that Christ gave us. That you love one another. And he didn't feel like, that. he didn't have any interest in loving one another. These are things that are they will probably come home to you with very little self-examination. But what it but finding out what that it, that it's not deep theology, it's not deeper walk, it's not some Teresa of Avila ecstasy in Jesus. It is knowing the basic salvific exchange. I know him and I know the victory that comes from him and I know the forgiveness that comes from him. Yeah. Brother. It sounds like your friend was Talking more about emotional love, mm-hmm. you don't yeah. really emotionally want to be around them. So well, let's just say whatever. Really like them. Yeah, so, yeah if I don't, I don't. Uh, I know perfectly well there are some people yeah. I would never hang out with. <laughs> if it wasn't for Jesus. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's possible, yeah, dude, about? You know, it's no possible to love somebody even if you don't emotionally oh, yeah. love yeah. them. Yeah, but you so, really want to be with them because how do you know that's what the Bible. Well, whatever distinction you want to make, the love that Christ has, you have for your brothers, draws you to them. That's what it, I mean, it's a positive, whatever you want to describe it as, uh, decision, emotion, separate from liking people. I don't have anything in common with most people in my church. But I really want to be there. See, that's the point. I really want to be with them. Whatever the motivation if I don't want to be with them, I don't care what you want to call it, you're not experiencing love for the brethren. You know, it's, it may be, yeah, I just don't like them, yeah, but you don't love them either. You can't, as a Christian, claim to love and want to avoid them. Because it's a positive thing, no matter what you describe it as. It's a positive It's described in Corinthians 13 doesn't insist on its own way it's kind, it's patient those are the two positives I think of you love is patient and kind not jealous or boastful does it talk about wanting to be around them? Um, well no not in any uh, I think not in any direct sense wanting to be around them but um, um, try using that on any other love and see if it applies with the girl you date. I really I really love you, honey, I just don't want to be with you ever, or rarely, you know? But it's really, no, it's really love, you don't seem to understand, it's really, I, I have a strong, I uh, don't know how I can express it any other, but i just rather spend some time with my friends than you, Yeah, you know, I, you know it, it might not say it is that one passage about do not forsake the assembly together, as is the habit of some, but it doesn't connect it to the love, But our love for each other is this membership you have. The whole nature of communion, the the Eucharist, is about that membership. Because we are discerning the body in that situation. We're not talking about the host. We're talking about the body that is partaking of this one meal together. Um, um, That's the... uh, so I think that, that, that all the teaching about the nature of the, the, the body of the the church and the gathering together and how different the various part, different the various parts of the body are um, um, the uh, um, that would be the. Um, 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 That would be that would be the automatic. I don't think I could say in any way that people I wanted to stay away from, I loved, you know, I, or that I had membership with, or uh, we were being. We were, yeah, I read through Ephesians on the nature of the church. Um, Corinthians the same thing. It's this this uh, not being able to say I have no need of you. Um, so. Um, Um, we're at the last verse, we're right about at an hour Um, verse 29 if you know that he is righteous you may be sure that everyone who does right is born of him, you may be sure now you say well what if I've met a non-Christian who was good well okay realize that that we're not talking about a scientific law here. We're talking about the the connection between your master, Christ, his righteousness, and those that follow him. You will be... It, it goes from you knowing inside yourself, your confidence about what has happened in you, that you live in, that keeps you from deception, that keeps you from being led astray, that keeps you making it very clear what it is to be a Christian, and... I'm able to look up above, not just the teachers, if they went out from us, they're not part of us, but also the, the brethren and say, hold it, they're unrighteous. You know, that that you will find that the points of fellowship, a lot of Christians talk about heresy or this, that, and the other. Um, the points of fellowship in the scripture are the Antichrist, the denial, the heresy on the primaries, and uh, lifestyle if they're, if they're living an any evil life. I'm not joined to them because these very basic things of what Christianity is, God's righteousness and who Christ is, what we heard from the beginning. So that's you know basically uh, for tonight that's where the question you might want to think about is where does my confidence rest? Can I examine it easily? Um, is it something I know about myself or I bother to think about myself in these terms um, these yeses and nos where well, you don't love the brethren think about whether you're a Christian it's not saying a person isn't a Christian who doesn't love the brethren I'm saying they're not supposed to be sure they are uh, that if a person is in sin or doesn't love the brethren or denies Jesus, the deity of Jesus Christ or the nature of the gospel and said, no, no, I'm a Christian. Mm. I'm not going to say you're not. I'm just saying I don't see how you can say you are. You need to have doubt. These are issues of assurance and issues of doubt. Um, So confidence, let that rest in the things that are... um, uh, You might say the new Christian could be just as confident, and sometimes more demonstrably confident than a Christian who's older. A lot of times people think, oh, if I just lived the life a long time, I'll be totally brainwashed by this cult. And I'll really believe. "Eh." When we encountered the gospel, that should have been it. That should have been that watershed moment um, that we could point to. And some people, I don't remember when it was. I was young. It was over a couple of months. But you knew that on one side of this, like C.S. Lewis says, at one on a motorcycle ride to Whipsnake Zoo, he didn't believe that Jesus Christ was God, and on the way home, he did. When he got to the zoo, he did. <laughs> he didn't know where on the trip, but somewhere between the ride on the back of his brother's motorcycle and the zoo, he became a Christian. Because it's, an, it's a major watershed, and it is your point of confidence. That's what I would say we need to spend more time on that our confidence is in our salvation not our confidence and our depth. So, let's thank God. Dear Lord, thank you very much. We're very grateful for the gospel, for your son's work on the cross, and and for our forgiveness of sins for his sake. We'd ask that our lives would start to redound to the credit of your son's salvation, and we'd ask that we would be given great sense of position, great defense against those that would draw us away. We'd ask that we would live out basic Christianity the way it ought to be. In your Son's name, Amen.